Yeah, good afternoon. Pac-12 is going to go into these media meetings saying, just hear me out here, the return of radio. That's what we're going to be big on now. Half our games will be on radio we'll only. We'll travel our crews. It's, it's all coming back. That's where it started. It's all going back to radio. That's where our games will live. And only half will actually be seen by eyeballs. The rest will be experienced through the ears. That's where the Pac-12 is headed. Hutton, I hope you had a great weekend. Solid, solid Easter solid weekend. Easter weekend for me too. Yep, got good. got a chance to watch some Masters and Same. good time. And uh, that's obviously the big story of the weekend. So the story going into the uh, Augusta was PGA and Live, and the fact they were being separated for the first two rounds as to not cause controversy. Greg Norman wasn't invited, even though he's a former Masters champion because the Masters didn't want it to be about anything but the Masters. And then the final round happened. And I thought the PGA and its players have to be thrilled with the result and live. And the top of their golfing list with Kepka and Mickelson, they also have to feel really good about the results despite not winning. I thought it was the best of both considering all the conditions and hats off to John Rahm. He wins for the fourth time on tour uh, this calendar year. And he's one of four or five players to ever do it. Get, picking up his fourth victory of the season by the time the Masters rolls around. He's playing great golf. And he does it through the different conditions of the weekend. Kepka had his third round cut short. Starts Sunday by finishing his third round. By the time he finishes the third round... He's only up by two, and by the time they reached the sixth hole at Augusta National, John Rahm had tied for the lead, and then he took the lead and never looked back. And the only thing he did look back on was the leaderboard, where he saw Jordan Spieth and Phil Mickelson chasing him down, and he was steady throughout that final nine, the second nine yesterday. I, I thought he was great, trailed the final round, but yet turned around to beat the player, uh, on on the uh, Sunday at, at the Masters, he wins his first green jacket. Meanwhile, Kepka, I thought was really good for 56 holes and I mean, or 54 holes, excuse me. And considering that that's exactly when the tournament's in for Liv, that was fitting. That after 54 holes, that's where things really turn for John Rahm, who was the most consistent player. Mickelson didn't, it was not able to catch John Rahm. And Spieth was back atop the leaderboard. There were shades of different eras and different personalities and themes and storylines. And oh, by the way, the players also win based on the increase of the purse. Now, it's not going to reach what we saw the Live Tour hand out by any means on a on a tournament by tournament basis. But Chad. Augusta National paid $3 million more in total than they did last year. The top 36 finishers left with a check of at least six figures. And while the Live Tour handed Brooks Kepka a check for $4 million for winning in Orlando, we saw the Masters champion yesterday take home $3.4 million, I believe, of that said purse. It was... I thought a win-win all, all the way around, except for the weather. And the, the weather played a huge factor in what we saw throughout the weekend. Yeah, one quick correction, by the way. Greg Norman never won the Masters. He won two majors, and he lost. Uh, oh, well, he lost fantastically right. one year at the Masters in 96. Right. 
blow it, but he won the Open Championship twice. So yes, thank you. They they uh, they held a press he, conference about that. Yeah, though. is he, I wonder if he's. Uh, he certainly wouldn't just get the invite, having not won. But I wonder if he bought a ticket, could he go, or is he banned <laughs> if he decided to go to the Masters? Uh, right? If he, he could, just went he as a spectator, go. yeah, he could go as a spectator. But again, like they they specifically mentioned, hey, Phil's here. Yeah, where's Norman? And they said he's. We didn't extend the invite, and they did say the last few times that they've invited him, he's only been twice over the last eight or nine years, anyway. So they made that point, but like. If, if Norman's the most hated player from the Live Tour, Mickelson would be number two. And he made a charge late, and Rom did not – he didn't stutter throughout the, the back nine. I, I thought it was uh, a show that Rom is built for really any condition in any course. Yeah, the story is John Rom becoming the fourth Spaniard to win the Masters, and congratulations to him. Remarkable play on Sunday where he flipped – where he was down big and ends up winning going away. Down four, wins by four strokes. Really remarkable by him. The live versus PGA thing, you know, Phil Mickelson said afterwards that it was just nice to go and play golf. And for this tournament, Hutton, we previewed it last week, it was about the tournament. The Masters is about the golf, and it's about the Masters and past champions and the history on this course. And Phil Mickelson said it was delightful to play in those conditions where that's what it all it was all about. And he said this is what the major championship should be. The best players in the world, regardless of tour, getting together to play the major championships. And doesn't matter what tour you're on, the European tour, the Asian tour, the live tour, whatever tour you're, you participate in throughout the season, the best players from those tours get together and play in the majors. And from an idyllic perspective, yeah, that's the way it, it should go, I think, and no one's going to disagree with what Phil Mickelson had to say about that. It really wasn't the story. You know, you had the one little remark from Jim Nance at one point where I feel like he knew exactly what he was doing. He said, there goes Brooks Kepka on the CW. That means crosswalk, he said, and he kind of paused afterwards taking a shot that, hey, here we are on CBS with yeah. the Masters. This guy yes. plays live tour on CW, but then he claimed that it was just short for the, the crosswalk wherever he was going across at the time at, at the Masters. I what? found that part of it funny, but outside of that, you know, we'll talk to Scott Stallings about it. He said it's no deal at all. Not even is it not a big deal. It's not discussed. They don't care. I, I, got, I got the sense that is reality other than the questions these guys are still going to get from the media from a tour perspective and from a player perspective. I think the hard feelings have pretty much gone away with this thing. Well, and I mean, the, the, the other thing, just the perception though, is that the guys that are the former masters champions who are on the lift tour washed up, you know, Kepka mentally drained. You've got Mickelson who's reached an age where, you know, he's, he's not, He's not going to compete. And then they both show up and do what and they did. Set tied for second place. And, but like, even if like the, the storyline was there, the, the Masters coverage is not going to ignore the live golfers. They didn't allow them to, even if they wanted to, based on the way they played. And while we saw John Rahm come from behind and win against Kepka, who led through three rounds, we also saw Mickelson and Kepka play right there with the top stars and, oh, by the way, the PGA Tour as an amateur on the up-and-coming that is a next star of the PGA Tour whenever he wants to get rolling. So I, I just thought the storylines 
fit the whole setting for what the tournament was. And by the way, the fans also win because when you start to look at this leaderboard, you're tuning in, and that's even without Tiger Woods right. playing a factor whatsoever because he had to withdraw due to plantar fasciitis and couldn't walk based on the conditions. The conditions absolutely, uh, for whatever we want to refer to as washed out, it's not the players, it was the course. Other than that, I thought everything worked itself out as it should, and there's really no controversy behind it. Spieth shooting up the board on, on Sunday was great, a great development for the tournament and the interest. Uh, Phil Mickelson, remarkable that he finished tied 65. for second. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I did ask myself two big questions I had come to this because I'm, I'm at my parents' house watching with my dad who watches every PGA event, not just the majors. He is sitting there all weekend watching every single event. And he was rooting for John Rahm over Brooks Kepka, And he said, because John Rahm, you know, Kepka left was sort of the way he said it. He wasn't mad about him taking the money. Or anything. He just said, well, he left the tour, so I'm for John Rahm. Now, in every other instance, my dad would typically go cheer on the American if it was versus a European or international player at a major, he'd go for the American, but that wasn't the case here. Doesn't hate Brooks Kepka, but likes the story of John Rahm, wanted to see him win more. And Rahm's a very likable guy, too. I'm sure plenty of Americans were rooting for John Rahm, and for reasons that had nothing to do with the Live Tour or for Brooks Kepka. But I found that interesting just coming from my dad mm. and curious how many other people kind of shared the same sentiment going down the Sunday backstretch of. I want Rom to win because Brooks Kepka left and Rom is still with the PGA Tour. I, I know it's not a factor with the players. I wonder if it's a factor with, with fans out there. Um, I, I think the, the other thing that but I, the, the roars at Augusta for Mickelson when he finished at 18. Yeah, Mickelson's beloved at that course, but he, too. But you still had Spieth and Mickelson trying to match shot for yep, shot, too. Yep. And I think Mickelson's a little bit of a different case because of that 04 win because of the lack of the vertical when he celebrated and that, that legendary picture of him jumping up for joy, finally winning his first major at that point in 04 was such a legendary moment. He's, that's, he's kind of in with the whole Augusta crowd with that. My, my other big thing was, I wonder what Brooks Kepka's honestly thinking walking off that course. Because you could really go one of two ways here. Kepka was so open and honest in that full swing documentary on Netflix about yeah. his self-doubt and how he really doubted if he could ever play at a high level again. Well, here is proof he can go and win majors again. This is full proof. Now, the other side, if you want to be you know, negative Nelly about this and you're Brooks Kepka, you're saying, I'm probably never going to get another opportunity like that again. I'm up four strokes going into the final round. I'm up four strokes on Sunday in Augusta at the, at the Masters. And I didn't take it home. How am I ever going to be that close again? Brooks Kepka being the competitor he is and the alpha that he is in majors, I think he's going to come off of that, come out of this tournament saying to himself, I can still do this. I've got another couple major championships in me now. I've proven it to myself that I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best in the world, and I can give my chance at winning another major championship. I think that's probably what he's feeling. But I couldn't help but watch those last two or three holes, and I'm studying Brooks Kepka closely, thinking, what does that guy feel like tonight? Huge blown opportunity, and that's my last opportunity? Or this is the start of me being back at major championships, and this is just the beginning of my next run? I think, well, he was asked about being back, and if this shows that it tells, if able to comprehend that he can play, and he's like, well, I've known this for a while. 
I don't know what a while is for him, but he responded to the reporter and the presser that just said, this was right after the final round. He's like, I've known this. Maybe you guys haven't seen me play, but I know I can still compete at a high level. And he mentioned a few shots he would love to have back. But I, I think playing with Rom also helped him, in a, and mentally it helped him. It didn't help him based on the results of the shot, but... He goes, typically, I am a club longer, half a club longer than whatever Rom's doing with the, from the fairway. And he's like, there's one shot where uh, Rom went with a nine. He decided to go with the wedge, and Rom was short on the green. The wedge went over the green. And he's like, that's just, I, I can't explain that based on what we've known about each other and how we play. Um, they were also, they don't like slow play. The group in front of them was extremely slow. Yeah, they were getting Patrick they were getting Cantlay. stopped. Uh, Cantlay yeah. and uh, Victor Hovland yeah. were in front of them, and I noticed there were a few times where they but, were but, they were being very slow. But, so Kepka is the example of the champions on the Live Tour that are still going to have a major presence in the majors because he's going to find himself exempt on these moving forward. And you know, as a major champion, for instance, you're normally extended the invite to Augusta National. Well, that's how Norman would have received the invite. But Kepka's going to get that. The other players... Well, he's going to get invited. My, my big question oh, is, but he, is he going to put himself regularly in contention on Sunday? I don't... I mean, at major championships, does he feel like this is the beginning of the reemergence of Brooks Kepka of being the alpha among alphas at the majors? Or... Is there something to playing on the live tour where the stakes aren't as high in terms of competition? Because both of that is that though. going to lower your your ability? But on, on the on the tour itself, though, he was known for playing great during the majors and wasn't winning anything else anyway. Oh no, I I, so, I, mean, I that, get but, it. But now mentally, he seems back. But yeah. also, he gets the best of both worlds. He got the massive signing bonus. He made four million, which is what three? Let's see, it was. I think it was 3.3 that Rom won yeah. as the champion. So he makes more. Now he wants the green jacket again. There's no of doubt. Course. I mean, look, he, he's, but, he's making a lot of money, but no one's going to know I that he won. I don't know how he doesn't take away the fact that he went toe-to-toe with the best. That the, hottest, uh, the, the hottest players based on the 2023 season, John Rom and Scheffler. And he went and led for three straight rounds Yeah, and when things came apart on on. Day four, but really started towards the end of round three when he had to restart that due to the weather. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the first time I knew that he won the Live Orlando Tour event was this morning when I saw it on the Outkick Rundown about him making more money winning well, that than, than the Masters. So he's fine. He's making more money than he would ever dream to make, and he still gets to compete at the majors. My big takeaway, though, is are we seeing the start – of Brooks Kepka 2.0 at the majors, or are we seeing a fleeting shooting star of a guy who's going to play on a lesser tour and then be in contention one more time at the majors? I tend to believe he's going to be back. I think so. And competing at a big level at the majors and raking in all the guaranteed money and, and the money of the live tour. But he and Phil are the example of why. John Rohn, by the way, 28 years old. Did that surprise yeah. anyone else? Amazing how young that guy still is. Because he yeah. feels like he's been around for so long. Yeah, you're right. Because he was a young phenom, and he looks old. He's looked about 37 years old since he was 21, <laughs> and he started out on the PGA Tour, and he's looked about the same age the whole time. So 
I was surprised when I saw how young he still is. And, I mean, on on the 40th anniversary of Seve's win. Yeah. Uh, and on Easter Sunday, on the 40th Sunday, anniversary. Yeah, and, and it was uh, what would have been Seve's 65th or 66th birthday. 66, yeah. Um, he wins um, as the, the next Spaniard to do it. It was a great storyline overall. And uh, we'll, we'll pick back up with that throughout today's show uh, with the theme of Augusta, the weather, Tiger. And, I mean, we've, we need to dive in as well to Sam Bennett and the fact that, I mean, we've got, rec- we've got a record purse where guys are raking in all this money and he didn't make a dime. He did, but not from where he finished. I can also speak as a guy who has suffered from plantar fasciitis before. That oh, Tiger, Tiger Woods is talking about. Man. I've never had a leg completely reconstructed the way Tiger has, and he's got plantar fasciitis on top of that, on that surgically repaired leg. But Plus, I, th- this is a sports injury I can actually speak with some experience oh. on. Plus the, the wet conditions and the cold played a huge factor in all of it. We'll get into that. Plus Odell Beckham Jr. He has signed with the Ravens and what that means for Lamar Jackson. We'll hit those storylines and more. Dan Dockage is next to pick up with us on Hot Mike. Hot Mike now and earlier today and every weekday morning you can check out don't at me with dan dockage right here on the outkick network we say hello to dan dockage as we broadcast at six and Peabody dan the with man yeehaw beer and old smoky moonshine dan with us from indy good to see you man hey thanks for this morning thanks for coming on always a good time monday it. it's beautiful here in indy it's almost nashville type weather here in indy could Love it. Have, could have used this weather uh, at Augusta National. What, what were your big takeaways from the Masters tournament overall? I thought it was pretty cool. I, I, John Rahm's best player in the world, at least the way I see it. I know Scotty Scheffler's terrific. I loved what Phil Mickelson did. Uh, the whole live thing is interesting. I, you know, great players leaving the tour. The tour hasn't been really affected by it. But, of course, you know, the three guys that finished in the top four – from the live tour, haven't been affected by going to the live tour, at least in the Masters. So, look, it's my favorite Sunday of the year, and I did not even mind the fact, because I was busy all day Saturday, I liked the fact that we had golf literally all day from 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning until nighttime. I thought it was great. Hey, I thought they were going to have to postpone the finish based on uh, Kepka and Rom following Patrick Cantley's group around all day. Uh, You're not a fan of the slow play. I play a lot of golf, and we have a rule. Play good, play fast, play bad, play faster. I mean, what are you doing? Like, I, I get. No, seriously, I get that it's the final of the Masters, last round, all that kind of stuff. But, my God, that, that was like a death march for those two guys. And I do, I, I, I do think, again, I'm not friends with any of these guys or their people or their parents or anything like that, but I think you could tell that – Kepka was getting visibly frustrated. Maybe he was frustrated with his own play. Maybe he was frustrated with not being able to catch Ron, make birdies. But you can see that he was he was frustrated. And I don't blame him. I mean, man, that was that was brutal. And uh, you know what? You would think pros. You know, I know they're playing for a lot of money. I know they're the last of the Cowboys, playing for their supper, all that kind of stuff. But uh, God dang, can't lay. Let's pick it up a little bit. <laughs> How much do you watch body language with golfers? I find myself all the time watching reactions to shots. 
I try to guess right away if it was a good shot or not off the tee based on their body language right as they go through with the follow-through. And one guy specifically that I cannot stop watching is someone I love, but it's Jordan Spieth. If you remember that first meltdown when he was really young at the the Masters, it was a big thing about his lack of maturity and how he's screaming towards his caddy and he's visibly getting frustrated. Dan, I still see a lot of that with him. I'm watching him a lot over the weekend. I'm like, this guy is talking to himself after every bad shot nonstop. How much do you watch things like that with golf? Hey, I watch it in in its entirety, and that's what I watch – in every sport, and you're so right about speed. You know, I don't know if you you know the game card game euchre. Do you know that card oh, yeah. game? My parents love it. All right, so I never heard of it. Then I went to college. Everybody played it, and what I learned very quickly was that after every hand of euchre, everybody has to talk about what they did or what they should do. And that's kind of like golf. Like, if you play golf, it's like, ah, oh, man, I hit that one fat. Or everybody wants to explain. And usually on the tour, a guy will lean or get mad or whatever. But Spieth is at a different level. You're so right, man. He's like Mark the Bird Fidrich a thousand years ago talking to the baseball. He's talking to the ball. He's talking. And he's about half crazy. And, you know, he played great yesterday. Uh, and I certainly did. But, you know, whenever it gets lately, anyway, I shouldn't, you know, he's been a great champion, all that kind of stuff. But I have a feeling when he's in contention late that he's always going to crap the bed. You know what I mean? And I wonder if all those thoughts going into his mind, now competing against so many guys that are as good as him that don't do that. Like John Rahm gets mad, but then he seems to let it go. Kepka looks like. He's just an NFL fullback that's taking hits. He just gets up and keeps playing. Scheffler doesn't seem to be bothered. Those guys are at his level, and they have a little more even temperament. You got to do what you do. But I, I, I now think that Jordan Spieth, if he's in – it didn't. let me put it this way. It didn't surprise me to see him bogey number 18 yesterday and put himself one below the leader in the clubhouse, which, which was Mickelson. I just assume he's going to do that when, it, when push comes to shove now. Dan, I was once a huge NBA fan, and I never thought of all the possible issues with the NBA that the biggest one facing the future of the sport and its popularity is a lack of desire to compete consistently at the highest level by owners, by players, and by coaches. I'm talking load management, and now I'm talking about whatever the hell happened with the Dallas Mavericks against the Chicago Bulls the other night. I don't understand how the reward is worth the risk of doing what Mark Cuban did in that game. What in the world is going on? Let, let me ask you a question. What's the difference between that and point shaving? Like, seriously, what, what, what's the difference? You know, people want to get on players. You know, we've had point shaving scandal where guys have won games, but maybe under the spread. But, I mean, that's intentionally yeah, they're trying just not to lose money from that may put you in the playoffs. The, the only difference is they're not taking money from a gambling I, agency or someone betting on the game. Maybe. But I just went to Wrigley Field, and in right field outside is a big uh, DraftKings sports book. So who's to say that they're not taking it in a different way? I, I, look, I, I look at it as I, I, I look at it as fixing the game. I, why aren't you playing them? You're playing them because you want to lose for whatever the reason. Well, they're, when they're, that ha- I don't understand that. They, they, they're, they're fixing I, the I, draft because they, they have a protected top ten pick from the Porzingis trade, and by losing. The, if they made the playoffs, they can't necessarily guarantee they're going to have that pick. And now, but they were still alive for the playoffs, right? No, That's I know. By making the playoffs, it lessens their chance of the protected pick, which is why they lost. I, I know, and that puts it on a completely different level. That's what I was going to say. 
you're costing yourself now something. You're costing your fans now something. You know, a guy sits out in the middle of the season. That's a little different than four guys sitting out and we don't want to go to the playoffs. I want you to think about that for a second. We don't want to go to the playoffs. In what sport, we don't want to go to the NCAA tournament. We don't want to win this game. We don't want to go. We don't want to go to the NHL playoffs. We don't want to beat the, the, the Colts in the last game of the year and make the NFL playoffs. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, seriously, that is, that is as egregious as anything that I have seen in the NBA. We've seen fights. We saw fights on the bench yesterday. We saw some idiot break his hand. We've seen Tim Donaghy and, and his shenanigans. We've seen all kind of stuff in professional sports. But think about it. I don't want to go to the playoff. I'm on the 18th hole, and if I make this putt from three feet, I'm going to the playoffs in the Masters. I don't want to make it. What sport would you not want to make the playoffs in? Honest to God, I, I, I could not. I thought when I originally saw it, fellas, I thought, okay, well, it's a meaningless last game of the year. And then I did a little research on it, and exactly what you're saying. They get a better draft pick. They blah, 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 blah. You're basically saying we don't want to go compete at the end of the year when the prize is the biggest. That, I, I'll be honest, there's a lot of things. And if Cuban was involved or if the general manager were involved, if I'm the league, I'm suspending somebody. I, I'm suspending the owner. I, you know, remember, this is 100 years ago, but th- when the Charlie Finley of the Oakland A's made this big trade, Joe Rudy and all these guys, he cleaned out his team for money. Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner of the, of the uh, Major League Baseball, voided the trade saying he's invoking the best interest in baseball clause as a commissioner. Well, if I'm Adam Silver, and he'll never do it because he's so gutless and on the player side and woke and all that crap, this is a best interest of the game issue to me. You're telling your fan, we don't want to go to the playoffs. We're going to sit out. We want to lose. I've never seen anything like it, and I hope I never see anything like it again. Well, and and so Kyrie Irving has been a a bust since his debut February 8th. They're 9-18. and Uh, But he did have a 19-point fourth quarter in a a must-win game for the Mavs against the Kings that kept their playoff hopes alive. Then Thursday happened, last Thursday happened, where the NBA refused – to do anything about that awful situation where the officials told the Warriors that it was their ball and they had already told the Mavs it was theirs and Cuban protested that loss because that was a key factor in their overall playoff standings. Well, they set the players on Friday and the ruling came out on Thursday. So I don't think that any of that is just coincidence. No, of course not. You know, and one of the things that the NBA, would you agree with this? One of the things that the NBA has fought, even before, I think, Tim Donaghy, certainly after his credibility, right? I mean, of all the sure. leagues, the one I, one I hear, and tell me if you guys hear the same thing. Well, that's fixed. The referees are letting stars play, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? And now Rudy Gobert is suspended for the first playoff game against who? LeBron. So, of course, when you have in your mind that there is a conspiracy and this league is set up for the Michael Jordans, the LeBron Jameses of the world, any little thing that happens, we're going to say that's not, a, that's not a coincidence. That's set up for this. And I don't know if we're right or not, but I know this. The NBA is the one league that has a huge credibility issue among its leadership, and including in that leadership now are coaches, general managers, owners for that, and always has been referees. And, Chad, we'll get back to this later, but this game, by the way, was a three-point game. 
115 to 112, where the the Mavs missed their final three shots and Doncic sat after like yeah, the first quarter. It's it's a crazy story. It's a it's a bigger conversation for another time because there's already people saying, well, what's the difference in that and a team that's you know sitting their guys to get the first overall pick in the NFL draft the last week. Well, the difference is that team isn't playing for a playoff spot. They're completely right. removed from any right. chance. Like, that's a big difference than being mathematically alive and then throwing a game, even if it's Mark Cuban trying to stick it to the league, by throwing his own team out of the playoffs, which, again, crazy circumstance. And crazy circumstance in Minnesota, Dan, where you got the guy punching a wall, then you've got a teammate punching another player over the course of one game. How does Coach Dan Dockich handle this if you're in that huddle and you watch some yapping going back and forth followed by Rudy Gobert throwing a punch to the body of a teammate? Well, I mean, what I would always do, and we had that once or twice, but never got to that. I just stand up and, and start swearing. <laughs> Sit your dumb, you know. Yeah. I would just stand up, get in the middle of it, and tell each of them how full of crap, blah 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 blah. And and unfortunately, probably make it a bigger scene than what it is. But at least you don't have a punch thrown, and you don't have your guy go bare. You know, your shot blocker suspended for your playoff game. Uh, the whole thing is ridiculous because you know. Let's be honest, Minnesota has stunk forever and now they're in the damn playoffs so it's and they won the game they yesterday won the game. it's actually yes it's actually been a good year by Minnesota standards you can argue a great year by Timberwolves standards but here at the end of it we got now we're going to have to sit out go bear we got a guy punching the wall, Jaden McDaniel, who everybody tells me he's a good player. Hell, I don't know. He seems like just another guy in the NBA. But he's stupid enough to do that in a season where everything, at least by Minnesota standards, has been great. I'm telling you, you, you could paint a scenario to me that said whatever you wanted to say. What, make up the wildest thing, and I would say, oh, I believe that when it comes to the NBA. I swear to God I would. Uh, I, I, and I don't need, you know, whatever is in your mind is crazy. I would say, yeah, you're right. I, I agree. Yeah, I, I can see that because they're nuts. The AAU culture, you're fighting. You don't care. Winning doesn't matter as much. You know, getting that bag, all that kind of crap. Hell, we're, how many different things and the entitlement, how many different things now are we seeing about John Morant that are starting to be confirmed? I mean, my God, the level of entitlement is insane and in the NBA it's easy because you know the stars because you don't play with a helmet on you don't play with a hat on you see them every night and they're in their underwear so you know who they are and they're promoted as stars and the entitlement is insane as well well and then you have Greg Popovich asking the media if they're packing heat at the press conference yeah, he, Popovich from my hometown. He hadn't been back ever. He's he's into $5,000 dinners and all that. Look, Popovich has an opinion. I respect it. That's great. But he doesn't need to put labels on people. He doesn't need to, well, these these guys want to go back to Jim Crow laws and stuff like that. How does he know? Does he know these people and, and what they want? You know, I, one thing I would, I would say about Popovich, again, if you got your opinion, God bless you. You know, who am I to say your opinion's any worse than mine? But to ask guys if they're packing heat, at a thing and being overly dramatic like that. When, you, when I hear those kind of things, I don't know how you guys are, but when I hear those overly dramatic type things, that's when I kind of wave it off and go, yeah. all right, well, that's just another guy complaining. Dan Dockage with his final thing, and, and I totally understand if you change this in the next couple of weeks with us. You're on the spot right now, <laughs> and the Colts are going to draft a quarterback, and Will Levis is there. Is he the pick? 
Oh, I hope not. I, I do. I, I'd rather see Hendon Hooker get picked, and I assume he's going to be there. I mean, I had a good friend. He's 35 years as a defensive coordinator in the NFL. He likes Levis enough, but he said he is so stiff that it, it's, it's silly. And he also said about Anthony Richardson, he, he made a comment. He goes, you know, guy that generally in his 35 years, guys that play the way on, that they play on Saturday play the same way on Sunday. And so – I, I think they – if you were going to tell me right now the first three picks in the draft were any order you want, mm-hmm. Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, and C.J. Stroud, and the fourth pick was the Colts, and they're going to either have a chance to do one of three things, which is basically pick Levis, right, trade down and get maybe the ninth pick or whatever and maybe maybe take a swing at Hendon Hooker or take a defensive guy – I would bet they take Levis. I, I, I think that's the scenario that they would take Levis. Otherwise, I think they're going to take either Richardson or Hendon Hooker, but I do reserve the right to change that yeah, because who yeah. the hell knows? Well, and, and uh, there are a lot of teams that are meeting with Levis this week. So I, I'm fascinated to see what happens with this because, you know, the narrative is, well, we saw what happened on the field. But the other narrative is teams are quarterback needy and three could go in the top three picks. And if you can get Levis... I mean, if you have him as a top 15 pick, but you pick fourth, maybe you got to ensure that you get your QB. Dan, do you deduct points for the bathroom mirror selfie where he shows that he's all jacked up in the mirror by himself, shirtless? Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I do. I, I do. I, I think that, you know, he has a very punchable face. He has a punchable persona. And maybe that's just me being jealous. Very much so. Uh, I will tell you this, though. This is what I think, all right? Like, if you like the guy and you're the Colts, and this is where the Colts have always been chicken blank, at least under ballot. If you like the guy, you know, don't be getting crazy. Don't be, oh, well, we're going to drop back because we think we can get him still at nine, that kind of thing. You got to take you know, If I'm the Colts and if I like a quarterback, just take your damn guy and live with the consequences. You, you know what I'm saying? Yep. I mean, don't, Ballard wants to overthink this, and then, you know, they get, into, they get into defensive mode when it doesn't work out. If you like him at four, take the guy at four and do what your scouts and you are paid to do, which is evaluate. Make your reports, make your decision, be strong in your conviction. So ultimately, that's what I hope happens. Dan certainly does that each morning here on the Outkick Network with Don't At Me. Always enjoy uh, the show, Dan. Thank you so much for joining ours, and uh, we'll catch it tomorrow morning. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Yep, same. Dan Dockich with us each Monday to recap the weekend headlines. Uh, I do think Arizona's trading out. At some point. Yeah. And the question is, how nervous are the Colts for that? If they're not nervous, I think they want Levis. Because I don't think he's going three. Uh, Dan's right, though. The big shock in all this is if the one, two, three, four quarterbacks, we think, are not the one, two, three, four quarterbacks. If there's someone on that list that has Hendon Hooker ahead of Will Levis, let's say. And I think that, that takes him. Could certainly be the case. I think it's a long shot. I think just like it's a long shot now that Hooker lasts throughout the first round, I think someone trades back into the first round or he goes late at worst. It would also be a long shot to me that someone drafts him ahead of Will Levis. I'd still think that. Hit us up uh, with your thoughts on social. You can follow us individually. You can also just check out the show on YouTube by subscribing to the Outkick channel. Coming up, Dusty May does more than just agree to return to Florida Atlantic. We'll dive in there. Uh, plus, Kaylin Clark. She 
is big at the box office and then shuts it down for Iowa. That's next on Hot Mike. Chad, I'm always skeptical when we get into these big contract extensions, uh, the the length of them, I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Dusty May, Florida Atlantic announced, not only did he agree to stay at Florida Atlantic, it's a 10-year contract extension that they announced over the weekend. So, Final Four, first time in program history, obviously. This keeps them absolutely relevant. They're moving to the AAC. And... He's had a record of 101 and 60. He's the all-time program leader in wins. And they finished with a record of 35 and 4 in route to that final four run. But do you buy into the 10-year extension? And this is on the heels of the story that after accepting the job and speaking to the team, he thought he was in over his head and nearly resigned and said, I've made a huge mistake. I think that it's legit. And then it's a 10-year contract where he's making a a lot more money. And I think it's legit that for FAU to fire him, they would owe him a ton of money. And that's been upped. I also think that it's legit that his buyout isn't much if he decided to leave. And I also believe that it's legit that his lawyer worked in there something about a certain number of programs, maybe mention them by name, he could leave to for little or no penalty, or certain conferences he could leave for for little or no penalty. Now, if he leaves for SMU, let's say, right. or a non-Power 5 team anywhere, he's going to have to pay over a lot, or SMU will have to pay a lot to hire him. But I, I do think that this gives him more flexibility to leave on his own if he wants while also ensuring more money, bigger buyout for himself. I think this is a pretty one-sided deal is what I'm saying. But it also It's legit, but it's more one-sided for Dusty May. But the 10-year aspect of it does mean to me that he's the coach for the next 3, 4, 5 years. I mean, he's certainly not leaving anytime soon. I I, I believe that he's a man of his word. I just when I see all the headlines that May's remaining the head coach until 2033, 34, I'm thinking, well, ah, let's, let's start with just if four he years wants, from now. If he wants, if he he wants do that. to, yeah. What, what this does is, I, I believe that Dusty May is being honest when he says he loves it there. He, yeah. he don't mess with happy, is what he said multiple times. He's not going to mess with happy, and he's happy in Boca Raton. And he's invested in the program. I think all those things are true, for sure. I also think that these contracts are one-sided for the coach. If he gets the offer of a lifetime three three to six years from now and he wants to bolt, he'll do so with little or no penalty. And what he also signed into is an impossibility of FAU to fire him. This is well, a lifetime contract on their – I guarantee you the buyout is so rich for FAU, he could do almost nothing short of off-court controversy, uh, short of Chris Beard right. level stuff to where they're not yeah, going to be able to fire cost. him because – and that's the way it should be. You got FAU to a Final Four. If that's not worthy of pretty much a lifetime contract, if you want to be there to be the basketball coach, I don't know what is. And I think it's another example, and it's a big one, of what the conference change means for that program. They're averaging a very low attendance number throughout this entire season, despite posting 31 wins. And they're getting 500 grand across the board for the TV contract that Conference USA had. That was from the, the football contract. Now they're moving up to where they're going to get 
a couple million. And this is a basketball program where they were putting only a couple million as a university into it. Now they can devote so much more behind it and they can look at the program for their hoops the same way that they were looking for it in regards to football where they had Kiffin come down and, and win. Uh, not to the final four you know, college football playoff level, but you certainly have landed some big football names and now you keep the guy who became a name in the NCAA tournament. Same goes for Caitlin Clark at Iowa. So they averaged 11,000, over 11,000 fans this past season. Season prior, they were averaging somewhere about four or 5,000, I believe. And the Which isn't bad for the women's no, game no, at all. No, it's not. But you can see the jump. Yeah. And then they were, they could already see the success rate of what the season tickets were going to mean, but they were inundated so much that they had to put season ticket sales on pause for the upcoming season because of the unprecedented demand. And this is after they saw an average of 11,143 fans at their games this past season. Um, I hate to be nasty here. This is, this is an Iowa problem. You have a set amount of tickets in your building. You don't pause selling season tickets until you know when, Hutton? When you sold the so last you- ticket in the last row of the building for a season ticket. This shows me that the infrastructure in Iowa athletics is subpar. That they don't have a mechanism well, in place to just sell out their season tickets and not pause it. The pause should be sold out season well, tickets they have, and packed house for every Iowa women's game. I think they were mainly concerned with how many tickets they have to set aside for visiting teams and then the students. Because they Again, they, you gotta have this stuff figured out. They had they they say that they have sold thirteen thousand two hundred season tickets. Capacity is a little over fifteen thousand for where they play. You got to have it figured out. If I, if Matty Ice was here, our resident Iowa fan, Wait, I would look him square in the eyes and say, this pause is a failure of your athletic department. And if I'm the AD at Iowa, I'm talking to whoever's running women's basketball tickets and saying, we don't pause until all of them are sold. There's no pause to redo the math. Or we you, sell out capacity if we have a chance to. And, now and that's it. unpausing it, the ticket prices go up even more. Coming up... Odell Beckham Jr. gets paid. Will Lamar? That's next. <laughs> 